Right now, I am wishing that I could only preach as well as we sing, and as well as you beautiful people make music. So I pray that God would accept these uh, words of mine as I uh, desire to please Him and preach His word of life and hope this Christmas Eve. Some of you have celebrated Christmas 60, 70, 80 or more times. You can remember from your childhood the joy of Christmas morning, and now you're in a different season. It's a sweet season, and you see the joy of Christmas on the faces of your children and grandchildren Christmas morning. Some here at Faith are new believers. We have been blessed with many new Christians this year, and I know because some of you have talked to me that this marks the first time you're actually worshiping God as part of your Christmas celebration. One young man here at Faith put it to me so honestly, and I just love the honesty and the transparency of new believers because they don't know there's certain things you're not supposed to say to the pastor. (laughs) And this one young man said to me, you know, Pastor Bruce did a lot of Christmas partying in the past, but Jesus was never part of it. And we uh, lit up a lot of stuff, but it wasn't incense. And this is going to be the first year that my Christmas is all about Christ. And I think that's just a sweet, beautiful thing. So whether you've been walking with the Lord for a lifetime or you're just beginning your journey with Christ, it's really good to be here. It's fitting that we come to worship in a place set apart, built by God's people for worship of the living God And as we're worshiping in this space, in this place, in this moment, we are worshiping in spirit with millions of Christians around the world. And I want you to know that in the Holy Communion that is ours with the church in heaven, we are also also worshiping God with the billions of believers who've gone before us, who now see our Lord and Savior face to face in his glory. And here at Faith, we, um, we insist on honesty and transparency. We insist on honest preaching, honest teaching. And I want to be honest, as we should always be. There are some people celebrating 60, 70 Christmases tonight, some celebrating Christmas for the first time as believers. And some of you are here tonight because your family dragged you along. (laughs) I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But you know who you are. You're here because you didn't have the heart to tell your mother your grandmother no. You want to please her. You want to do the right thing. But you're not so sure about this Jesus. And you're certainly not so sure about the people who claim to love him and serve him. I just want you to know that even if you uh, were dragged here, I'm glad someone dragged you. And my prayer is that in this music, And in this moment, and in my feeble attempt to preach a word of life, you will experience the grace of God and the love of Christ. Because Jesus said, wherever two or more people gather in my name, I'll show up. I'll be there. So we're in a holy place tonight, not because this carpeting is so much holier than the carpeting in your rec room. Or these lights are holier than the lights in your living room. We're in a holy place because Jesus promises to be here. You know, Christians gather every year 
to hear that same story from the gospel over and over. And we come to hear that story whether the economy is fragile or robust. We come to hear the Christmas gospel whether we find ourselves as a nation at war or at peace. Uh, We come to worship whether the person we wanted is in the White House or not. We come whether we are young or old. We come to hear a story that gives Christmas its true meaning and in fact gives meaning to our lives. We never seem to grow tired of hearing this gospel narrative, you and I. And I don't know about you, but tonight as I was reading the gospel, I was hearing Linus. And I wish I could read the gospel, say it from memory like Linus does in the Charlie Brown Christmas, but You know, I heard that gospel from Linus as a child in front of the TV set, and here I am, 60 and a grandpa, and it's just as fresh and beautiful and new to me tonight as it ever was, and I hope it's the same for you. But make no mistake, this is no um, fairy tale. It's not a work of fiction. This story comes in history, in time, in a place. Caesar Augustus was ruling. Joseph had to take Mary, who was with child to Bethlehem. This story is wrapped in flesh and it comes in blood, sweat, and tears. Mary's laboring, giving birth. And then in the blood, sweat, and tears that would be her sons on the cross. Familiar as some of us are with the words of this holy gospel, I think it's good to take a step back and meditate on the deep meaning and the significance of what God was doing, what God was up to, that very first beautiful Christmas. Because this story is not meant to be recited once a year and then put on the shelf or back in storage with the ornaments and the decorations. The story's living. It's organic. And God wants this living story to take up residence in our hearts and in all of our homes. And the Lord really wants us to understand and appreciate what he's done for us by leaving the beauty, the serenity, the perfection of heaven to condescend and take on human flesh as a real human being among us. I think that Christmas reminds us of some really important things about the nature of God. I think Christmas teaches us that our God, the living God, is such a great giver. I want you to think about the world in which you live. For some of you, it might be really easy to think about the world in which you live where there are givers and there are takers. And some of you may be working places where there's a lot of taking going on, but not much giving. The takers have never really been hard to identify Their motivation is always self-centered. You know how they operate. Takers manipulate. They use other people for their own desires. And unless there's some advantage to be gained for themselves, they're disinterested in other people at best, and they're cruel at worst. Takers are like that. You know this. Their only concern is concern for the self. For takers, self-preservation and self-advancement are paramount. 
Their plots, their schemes, their plans are always about what they can get. The more they can get, the more they can keep for themselves, the better. Thankfully, some people with whom we share the planet are givers. And I do hope and I do pray that you have known some givers in your life. They're easy to spot, too. Their motivation is never to take but to serve, to roll up their sleeves, to share, to give of themselves. And you know they never count the cost. And givers never use other people. The spirit of a giver never manipulates. It never says, well, if you do this, then maybe I'll help you there. Givers do not ask, well, what's in it for me? What advantage will I gain? Givers protect others. They sacrifice of their own comfort and even their own reputations for the sake of someone in need. I stand before you tonight to tell you that our God is a giver. He thinks not of himself, but of a world, this world, that so much needs his grace and mercy. And rest assured that you are part of the world that God cares about so much. John 3.16, it's written on some of our hearts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not die but have life everlasting. This God is a giver. God surrendered. He gave his son Jesus because God cares about you, make no mistake. And God wants you to have life, eternal life, with him. Your God will not leave you to die alone or die afraid. And he doesn't want you to live alone or live in fear either. He wants you to live, really live in the knowledge of his grace. And he has the power to give you something that you could never find or create on your own. A full life, an abundant life, not just in heaven, but in the here and now that only moves into a deeper joy and a perfect peace when this life as we know it has ended and we enter into a more perfect life forever. So I think God would have us all preaching, pastor included, examine ourselves honestly and thoroughly. How are we living? The life Jesus came to give us is not about taking. It's not about using. It's certainly not about manipulating others to get what we want. A true life is about what God desires for us. And I think at the heart of Christmas is this trusting in a God who did what was required, who did what was necessary to reach out and save us and love us. And here's the thing, people. When you come to know and believe and trust this God, all things change. You can't help but become a giver instead of a taker. In fact, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you become a gift to the world as one who hungers after the heart of God and seeks the mind of God in everything you do, the great decisions and the small ones as well. I think Christmas teaches us and reminds us that our God is a lover. There would be no Christmas if God did not love. This might be awkward to hear, but the scriptures tell us that the God who gives Jesus is in love with you with a pure, perfect, holy love. God loves you. And this love is never an if-then. It's a because-therefore. Because God loves you already, 
Therefore, he sent his son to give you life. In this world, some will say, if you do this, if you become like that, if you change this, then perhaps I'll find you attractive and maybe love you. But our God is different. He's never waited for us to change certain things about ourselves or improve certain personal attributes or make ourselves more acceptable before we do anything. He comes to us with this holy love because this lover is so different. God loves us because we're his children, you see. He's our father. He made us. He knew us in our mother's wombs. He gives us life. And he'll be right there with us when we draw our final breath in this earthly journey. It is in God's love and only in God's love that the loves and the affections we have for others can discover their true meaning and find their right purpose only when we see others as God sees them can we even begin to have right relationships only when we see other people as those whom God loves as much as he loves us can we start to really care about them and be a gift to a world in need and this God who loves this God who gives so generously, so lavishly. You heard it in the psalm. This God is a warrior. This God is a fighter. There is no victory unless someone wins. God loves us and God has given his son for us. But we need to ask, couldn't he have loved us without Jesus coming to earth? For what reason did God send his son here to bleed and die? What, what did Jesus come to accomplish by this condescension being fully God and fully man at the same time. Well, the scriptures tell us that God came to this earth to fight for us. Lovers always defend the one they love. Lovers are givers, and they do whatever is required to protect and save their beloved, even if it means giving their own lives. And you know this, people. It's written into every love story ever told. William Wallace fights for his sweet Murrin with a brave heart. And he fights for his countrymen in Scotland. Aslan the lion loves Narnia so much and the children Edmund and Susan and Peter and Lucy that he willingly confronts the white witch to save those he loves. In the story of the crow, Eric Draven returns to defeat the evil men who robbed his beloved Shelley of her innocence and of her future. Robert Roy McGregor faces without flinching what seems to be certain death when he picks up the sword against the villain Archibald who violated his sweet Mary. In the last of the Mohicans, Nathaniel promises Korah, I will find you, you stay alive, I will find you, and he does, but not until he fights his way through a band of fierce Huron Indians led by Magua. It's written in every story. So on this holy night, we, we remember Mary's baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. We do honor the infant holy, infant lowly. And on that first Christmas with the shepherds showing up, 
for that one divine moment, perhaps all was bright and all was calm as we sing in Silent Night. But all that would change, huh? When the little boy became a man. And on a Friday that we dare to call good, when the sky grew as dark as night, and Jesus went into battle on the cross to give us life. Uh, Make no mistake, God did not send Jesus to be first in his class in Nazareth. Mary didn't raise her boy to, you go out there and get a good job so you can have a good retirement and take care of Joseph and me in our old age. The one we worship tonight is a lover and a giver, and he's a fighter like none other. And he came as the warrior of heaven to defend those he loves. And he went to battle on the cross to defeat our enemy, and that enemy is death. This enemy, death, it attacks us from so many places and in so many ways. This death, this evil one, this father of lies, this one who is dark, this fallen angel Lucifer, his tactics are always the same. He's so predictable. He's not a creator. He will do whatever he can to keep us from the God who loves us, to make us doubt that we're worthy of such divine love. He wants us to think that we're all alone. He wants us to believe that life is nothing more than getting what we can while there's time. He wants us to believe that we're meant to be takers because it's all over when you die. These are the ugly lies the evil one would have us believe. But Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life to fight for our freedom. He came to fight for our freedom and to release us from the power of death that robs us of life long before family and friends gather for our funeral and memorial services. And as our champion, as the hero of our story, as the one who fought for us before we even knew how to say thank you, Lord, in return, Jesus invites you to partner with him in this holy, cosmic, daily struggle. Years ago, I had the chance to meet a Christian from Colorado by the name of John Eldridge. He rocked my world. He talked about the Christian life in a way I'd never heard before. And even though John, look, give give the guy a break. He's about my age and... When we went to school, there wasn't all this nervous excitement about inclusive language and masculine and feminine pronouns. So even though he's speaking about what a man needs, as I quote him, I'm convinced, because I got four daughters, that what he says is equally true for women. So you just put woman or person when you hear the word man or he, okay? A man must have a battle to fight, a great mission to his life that involves and yet transcends even home and family. He must have a cause to which he's devoted even to death. This is written into the fabric of his being. Listen carefully now. You do have this cause. That's why God created you. To be his intimate ally. To join him in this great battle. You have a specific place in the line You have a mission, a purpose for which God made you. So tonight, we're worshiping this God. We're celebrating the birthday of Jesus. And here in America, 
We honor the birthdays of many great leaders, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. We commemorate their birthdays because of what they did with their lives. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about how cute and cuddly little baby George Washington must have been or how pretty Abe the babe might have looked. We don't think about their infancy, do we? We think about their lives, their legacy. Tonight we celebrate the birth of Jesus because of who he is and what he did. It's good, it's right to thank God for the birth of the Word made flesh. But it's not enough to stay at the manger remembering the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. We got to take Jesus home with us tonight and remember what he did for us and rejoice in the good news that God loves us and he's willing to fight for us. And our God loves us with a love that's far sweeter and purer than any earthly affection. And like all the great love stories that shape our hearts, he fights for the honor, the safety, and the well-being of those whom he cherishes. Dear people, dear brothers and sisters, God loves you. God gave his son Jesus for you. God cherishes you. God decided that you're worth fighting and dying for. This is our story. This is our victory. This is our hope. And it all began at Christmas. So, even in the midst of our sorrow and our sadness, we can sing joy to the world, remembering why Jesus came to earth so long ago and what he did so perfectly and completely for us on the cross. We can sing joy to the world because we know how much he loves us now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.